in every pain. Then he says, the opposite of wasting your life is to live by a single soul-satisfying passion for the supremacy of God in all things, which really, I think, touches on the CRC faith, the supremacy of God in all things, over every square inch of your life, that there, there can be glorification of God in everything that we do, including worship. Worship is one way that we glorify God. So I just invite you guys to rise, and uh, let's glorify God this morning. Let's make much of God and just lift up his name.
sing that a cappella together this morning in the chorus.
audience this morning. And so we're going to invite all the kids to run on down. Come on down. We have a couple songs. Uh, Janessa, the worship pastor, has been working with these kids downstairs. They're going to teach you some actions. And so as they go through the actions, I'm gonna, I want you to, uh, to join us in them. So if they go to the left, Uncle John's going to lead us in that one. Uncle John, if they go to the left, what do we do? We go to the left, and if we go to the right, we go to the right. So kids, come on down. Where are the kids? Zero to 20. All the kids, come on down. Come up to the front here. We want you to sing. We want you to lift your hands. We want you to dance. We want you to give the Lord a mighty shout of praise. So come on down, kids. All the kids we have. We're going to ask the adults, too. Don't be shy. The kids are leading you, and they'll know they'll do, they're doing a great job if you're doing what they're doing. Few more coming, come on down, come on down. Come and put your hands together like this in the meantime. 
Thank you so much, kids. That was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us in worship this morning. We are going to continue uh, worshiping with the giving of our gifts and our tithes, uh, which we're collecting this morning for the Benevolent Fund. Here at New Life Church, we have a team of deacons who are elected each year to care for friends and family in the community around New Life Church. We give monthly to our deacons so that they have a fund uh, to work out of, and the deacons support those um, who are in our community who are struggling financially. And some of that is just very, very practical, um, supporting with gas, groceries, counseling, rehabilitation costs, anything to help uh, people in our community get back on their feet. Our deacons also help to pay for Christian school tuition for families who need that as well. And so during the next song, uh, we invite you to give your offerings as a continued act of uh, worship and sacrifice this morning. And so you can give um, your gifts at the boxes here on the front, or you can bring your offering uh, via these ways that are um, described here on the screen as well. Let's pray for the offering and the work of our deacons as well. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you today. Worshiping you, lifting up your name, you are good, God. We declare that together in song, in praise, in worship. We declare that too with the giving of our gifts and our tithes. Lord, these seasons are difficult because of inflation and um, struggles and strains in our economy. And so, Lord, we, all of us are impacted in some way by these difficult financial times. And Lord, we know people in our community who are struggling. So we thank you, Lord, that you have called deacons in our church to administer and discern how these funds can bless others. So I pray, Lord, for this offering. Would you multiply this offering this afternoon, this morning, and that it would go to bless many in our community and outside of our community, Lord. I pray, Lord, for families who are grieving loss, people who are struggling with health and sickness. Lord, would you bring comfort, healing, and strength to those who need you, 
who are desperate, Lord, for a healing touch. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And in the midst of struggle, Lord, we still cry out your name. We still declare your praises because of your sacrifice, because you have conquered sin and death. And Lord, the hope that comes. Thank you, Lord, that we are weeks away from the Advent season where we reflect on joy, peace, love. You are so good, God. We ask for your continued blessing through the service. In your name we pray. And everybody together said, amen. Amen. Let's sing again and give our gifts. While we'll sing this morning, uh, this is going to be a new song to you. It simply says, Behold Him. It's a song that I love. I absolutely love the song. It's a song of worship. And Pastor Sean is going to be preaching preaching to us this morning on, on the idea of worship. And what is worship? It turns you towards God. And I believe worship paves the way for uh, just for God to, for his presence to be here. And for him to be, for us to see him as high and exalted and lifted up. It also reveals, I would say, when we come to God in a posture of humility, when we come to God in a posture of worship, it reveals our brokenness. It reveals that we are absolutely, and that's the stance that we should take when we come to worship, that we are nothing absolutely nothing before God because he is high. He's exalted. He's the only one to whom all honor and glory and power and praise belongs. And so, as you give of your offering this morning, that's worship. But if you feel like you just need to bow your heads, if you feel like you need to lift your hands, if you feel like you need to fall on your knees, that is also worship. But what we're inviting you to do is to just tune your heart, tune your heart towards God. And allow him to be Lord of your lives. Lord of your life as we sing the song. He who was before there was a light Walked across the pages of time He who made every living Behold He who heard Humanity's cry left his throne to wake as a child. He became like the least of us. Behold him, Jesus, Son of God.
morning from Isaiah chapter 6. This is Isaiah speaking. He said that in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted. He was seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphims, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the, th the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And this is what gets me. Woe to me, I cried. Woe to me, I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. My eyes, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I want us to bow our heads again. I just want to sing that phrase again. Jesus, God, Messiah, holy, holy. Good morning um, and welcome to New Life Church. My name is Coonrad Bugelink and I'm your host uh, this morning. Uh, it is so good to worship together, isn't it? I was just so blessed by the kids. Um, yeah, just their enthusiasm in worship too did something inside of me, just watching them, um, thinking, why don't I behave more like the kids when I worship, and I guess it's just, maybe it's a grown-up thing, and we grow out of it, but there was still, there was still a part of me that kind of just misses the, the joy and the enthusiasm that I've had, and, and ever since um, maybe leaving youth ministry a little bit, where it's a little chaotic and insane, I was like, man, I just love being in that zone. So thank you so much, kids, for reminding me of um, that joy. Um, I want to welcome uh, those who are here this morning that might be guests, maybe new, maybe checking uh, New Life out this morning, and also want to welcome those who are joining uh, online uh, this morning and hope that you feel um, that this is a place that you could connect uh, to and uh, maybe join us as a faith community. And uh, one way that you'd be able to do that if you are new or as a guest here, uh, there's a communication card or a connect card in front of you if, on, in the seat pocket. If you just take that out and fill that out and put it in, um, bring it to the info booth in the lobby, um, then we would love to give you a uh, swag bag. Cool stuff in there. Um, and if you're online, uh, just reach out through the comment section and just let us know who you are, who you're watching with, and then we'll find a way to get that swag bag to you uh, another way as well. We are so glad that you're here. This week, 
I had several opportunities just to be really thankful for my connection to New Life Church. So I was connecting with New Life Church community in several ways over the last number of weeks at some awesome fundraisers, the Hope for Core fundraiser and uh, the ACS auction. Uh, I, I connected with uh, New Life members on a soccer pitch this week um, at volleyball games, cheering, and, um, and, and I caught myself a number of times just being really thankful that I'm connected uh, at New Life Church and that, that I feel like when I see you in these contexts, I have this sense of feeling that I belong to something pretty awesome. But I, I do want to remind us as a community that that doesn't happen by accident. It happens by intention and people uh, opening themselves to receiving new people as well. So uh, I think sometimes we need reminders of how that actually works because sometimes even myself too can get focused on what I need to do today and whatever, and I forget that we need to welcome and open ourselves to... Um, those around us who uh, are also looking for opportunities to connect into this amazing community. So New Life Church, if there's ways that you could be thinking about doing that, it's Grey Cup Sunday, for instance. So if you are having a party, invite someone. Uh, there, it's also World Cup uh, starting right now. Ecuador is playing right now. Yes, Ecuador. Viva Ecuador. So, and I, I'm an Ecuador fan because of uh, some people through New Life Church, the Boetas. And uh, so that's, it's, it's a full circle connection thing. And so look for ways to uh, be inviting. A couple of announcements this morning. Craft Fair. We just had a craft fair Friday night and Saturday yesterday, uh, which was awesome. It was a great event. Let's give a round of applause to Ellie Spear and Sam Postma for organizing this. My wife and my daughter came home yesterday with some wonderful smelling things and some crafts. It's awesome, and uh, so thank you so much for organizing that. Uh, there is an event happening on December 7th here at New Life Church. It's New Life Live. This is our bi-yearly congregational meeting. Uh, in this meeting, we will be approving this year's financial statements by show of hands. Uh, the event will be here live in the auditorium, and it will also be live-streamed. All of the information and the financial details and the statements are in one neat and tidy package that you can view on the Encourager, which is the New Life newsletter that goes out by email, or you can pick up a hard copy at the info booth after the service as well. Uh, we do have a service, a serving opportunity uh, to help out in the hospitality team. We're looking for a few more people to serve twice a year by cleaning up the coffee stations and washing mugs after um, church on Sundays. And we already have so many people that are serving in this ministry, and we appreciate that. Uh, we do love our Sunday morning coffee. So if you're willing to uh, help out, please email the church office, and uh, they will connect you with Jessica. And so since we've already offered some applause, I think it's appropriate to, um, to just honor uh, Walter and Jessica Hoogland, who organize our hospitality ministries. Let's just give them a round of applause. The hospitality team is a big job to coordinate um, if, if you're doing the math of like all of these people who are volunteering and doing this to serve coffee during the year. All of that happens because uh, Jessica and uh, Walter are quietly in the background ensuring that all of that happens. So we really appreciate um, you guys for doing that. And if you can help out in uh, serving the hospitality team, that would be just awesome. Uh, we are going to now have a time where we um, just extend a welcome to one another. Maybe this is that opportunity for you to uh, extend that invitation to others and uh, just to offer the peace of Christ. 
Uh, and then we're also given opportunity for parents to uh, bring their children down to Little Lights or Kids Church. So um, kid, Little Lights are children aged three to five years of age, and they will head to Little Lights through this door, and also kids uh, in grades uh, one through five can also go through uh, these doors here on my right, heading down to um, Little Lights and Kids Church. And if your children haven't registered yet and gotten the sticker on their shirt, if you can go find uh, one of the Little Lights or Kids Church attendants, they'll help you register your kids at the same time. So we are now going to um, move into our time of fellowship. Let's greet one another and uh, let's bring our kids down to Little Lights and Kids Church. Have a great morning.
All right, everyone, please take your seats. It's always so hard to cut our conversation in the, in, you know, in the middle of our conversation with others in this three short minutes. Um, and yeah, I even almost missed it coming up here, just talking and, uh, but yeah, thank you for uh, finding your seats and uh, getting ready to listen to God's word together. Um, for those of you who don't know me yet, uh, my name is Sean, I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. And uh, it's my joy and privilege to share with you uh, God's word this morning. We've been going through the sermon series on the minor prophets in the Old Testament, focusing specifically on the last six minor prophets of the 12. And now we finally come to the last prophet in the series, Malachi. The minor prophets, as you recall, are the last 12 books of the Old Testament, and they're called the minor prophets not because they're less important or less qualified, but because of their short length compared to the other major prophetic books like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Throughout the sermon series on the minor prophets, what has been, like, what's been something that has stood out for you? I mean, we've looked at five of the six. I say five because we missed one due to a power outage. I was supposed to preach that Sunday, but someone happened to take on an electrical pole, and we were out of power in that morning, so we weren't able to worship. But all that aside, throughout the sermon series, having gone through four, and we're the fifth one, what has been something that God has been speaking to you in this series? I'll give you a minute, since the three minutes weren't long enough to conversate with others, I'll give you a minute to talk to your neighbor about what's been something that's consistent that God has been speaking to you in our series on the Minor Prophets. Go. So, what are some things that has been st standing out for you? Does anyone want to shout it out? Faithfulness. Faithfulness, absolutely. Anyone else? Hope. Hope. Amen. Mercy. mercy. God's mercy, absolutely. Anyone else? Patience. God's patience. Yep. What else? Grace. Totally. Yep. All those things come out in these minor prophet books. And for me, one of the things that has stood up is the recurring theme of God's faithfulness. Despite his people's unfaithfulness. By God's faithfulness, I mean both in terms of God's justice and restoration. His faithfulness in bringing justice through punishing sin and wickedness, as well as his faithfulness in bringing restore, re restoration for the righteous who stay faithful despite the surrounding circumstances. Here in Malachi also, we see God's faithfulness at work 
despite Israel's unfaithfulness. Through prophet Malachi, God speaks of their unfaithfulness towards him, specifically their unfaithfulness in their worship, their unfaithfulness in their marriage through idolatry and divorce, their unfaithfulness in their acts of injustice, their unfaithfulness in their tithes and offerings, and lastly, their unfaithfulness in their refusal to serve God. Malachi prophesied after the people of God have returned from exile. Now, it is difficult to pinpoint exactly when he prophesied, but based on the content of his message, it's most likely that he prophesied after Haggai and Zechariah, after the completion of the temple. Given that Malachi speaks of the lack of enthusiasm and sincerity for worship, it's likely that a long time has passed since the completion of the temple. At the time of Malachi, the people have been waiting for God to come and restore them. The temple has been built. They've been waiting for the presence of God to return and fill the temple like he has in the days of King David. But nothing like what has been promised through the prophets has yet happened. The restoration that they've been waiting for hasn't yet happened. For them, it almost felt as though God has forgotten all about his promises with them. The post-exilic community of Israel was living in poverty. And it seemed that the glorious days of being the chosen people of God was long gone. As they waited for God's promise to be fulfilled, they began to wonder if God still loved them. They wondered if God's favor was still with them. They wondered if his promises still meant anything. So after a long time of questioning God's faithfulness, and being disappointed, people eventually began to lose faith in God. Although they kept up their religious rituals and duties, it didn't mean anything to them because they believed that God was far from them. So their hearts also wandered far from him. It's in this setting God speaks to his people through prophet Malachi. In this book, in four four short chapters, God begins by declaring that he still loves his people, that he still loves Israel, even though they question and doubt his love for them. After assuring them of his love for them in chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, God turns their question toward them, asking them if they love him. Of course, this is a rhetorical question because God knows, as the rest of the book demonstrates, that Israel did not love him. Out of all the ways that Israel has demonstrated their lack of love for God in this sermon, I will mainly be focusing on their unfaithfulness in worship, mentioned in chapter 1, verses 6, and chapter 2, verses 9. So let's read a portion in chapter 1. I'm starting from verse 6. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have you shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? 
When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would speak to us through these words that you have spoken to prophet Isaiah, or, uh, Malachi. We pray that you would speak to us in this moment. Help us to not only hear your word, but understand it. May it be planted deeply and firmly in good soil of our hearts so that it may bear fruit in our lives. We pray that you would teach us in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse 6 of chapter chapter 1, God confronts the Israelites with a question, If I am a master, where is the respect due me? After this, he goes on to say that the priests have shown contempt for his name. How? By dishonoring him in their worship. To show contempt in this context means to undervalue someone. It means to treat God's name with irreverence in their attitude. The priests whose calling was to lead God's people to honor God's name have not lived up to their calling. It's not that they failed by mistake. It's not that they've not lived up to it by mistake. But they failed because they didn't care about honoring God's name. The God of the angel armies, the God Almighty, who is king beyond the borders of Israel, has received no honor or respect from his own people. The priests of Israel has cheapened, have cheapened God's name by offering defiled food on his altar. They've defiled it by bringing to God animals that are blind, lame, or diseased. Something that they wouldn't even consider gifting to those whom they respect. Because they know to gift such animals, it would communicate anything but respect. No one would be pleased to receive such animals as gifts. They even brought injured animals, as verse 13 says, which in the Hebrew refers to animals that have been mauled by another animal. It's like bringing a roadkill as an offering to God. No wonder God confronts the priests and by implication the people of Israel because they're the ones that's bringing these offerings to God and priests are allowing that. No wonder God confronts the priests and the people for showing contempt to his name. 
the Israelites brought animals that no one wanted to offer to God, whose name is great among the nations and is worshipped in every place with incense and pure offerings. The God of all gods, the king of all kings, they brought useless sacrifices as an offering. And through that action, they despise God by, by bringing to him something that is completely useless, something that they would, they would even find useless. As if cheapening God's name wasn't enough, the priests have also regarded worship as a burden. In verse 13 of chapter 1, it says, And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. Once again, the people who were put in charge to lead God's people to worship and to instruct people of proper worship were considering worship as something burdensome. The phrase, you sniff at it contemptuously, points to the image of someone blowing forceful bursts of breath through the nose. It's to scoff at something. It doesn't really matter. It's too hard. You don't need to bother with all that. Just bring what you got. It means that the priests were snorting in arrogance to ridicule and make light of the offering that is needed to give to God. Since the animals offered in worship were defiled, they refused to even eat it. Even the priests refused to eat it because it wasn't good enough for them to eat. In this verse, God is pointing out the arrogance and the hypocrisy in the actions of priests, allowing the people to bring defiled animals to offer to God, yet they're choosing not to touch it because that would, eating that would defile them. Now here's how Eugene Peterson has rendered verses 11 to 13 into more modern English. This is God speaking to the Israelites. I am honored all over the world. And there are people who know how to worship me all over the world, who honor me by bringing their best to me. They're saying it everywhere. God is greater, this God of the angel armies, all except you, Israel. Instead of honoring me, you profane me. You profane me when you say worship is not important. And what we bring to worship is of no account. And when you say, I'm bored, and this doesn't do anything for me, you act so superior, sticking your noses in the air, act superior, act superior to me, God of the angel armies. And when you do offer something to me, it's a hand-me-down, or broken, or useless. Do you think I'm going to accept it? This is God speaking to you. Because of this contemptible act, God declares that he will not accept their offering. It's so offensive to God. Their offering is so offensive to God that he would rather have someone shut the doors of the temple so that no one would be able to offer sacrifices. He'd rather have no worship than to have half-hearted worship that is insincere, that dishonors him. And it's a serious charge. Now, in comparison to that, attitude. How is our own attitude towards worship? By worship, I'm speaking specifically about our gathered worship that happens on Sunday morning in this place. 
do we, like the Israelites, bring before God leftovers? Our leftover time? Our leftover energy from the week? Offering what's left over from what we spend on ourselves as tithes and offerings? Do we, like the Israelites, perhaps regard Sunday worship as something burdensome? Something tiring because Sunday happens to be the only day of the week that we get to sleep in? Have we, like the Israelites, gotten bored of Sunday worship because we have made it all about ourselves? About what we get out of the service? Instead of about who God is and what He has done for us? Do we, like the Israelites, scoff at the idea of presenting our best to worship by rationalizing that God looks at the heart. So it doesn't really matter how we worship on the outside. Yes, it is true that God looks in our hearts. And preparing our hearts is an important part of worship, absolutely. This is why God, through the prophet Isaiah, rebukes the Israelites for worshiping with their lips while their hearts are far from him. But here in Malachi, we see that the visible external actions of the Israelites in their worship reflected the attitudes of their heart on the inside. Yes, God looks at the heart, but how we worship on the outside is often a reflection of the attitudes of our own hearts on the inside. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we need to be rigid and religious about doing things properly on the outside so that our worship becomes all about how we look and do things externally. I'm not saying that. But the warning that God has spoken to the Israelites is a warning for us to examine our own hearts before God as we gather to worship the living God every Sunday. What do our actions, our external actions in Sunday worship say about our inner attitudes about God? Do our actions demonstrate that we consider it important to give God our best in worship? Do we sing wholeheartedly, focusing our attention to God because He's worthy of our all praise? And do we, or do we focus our attention on how loud the music is or how the worship leader repeats the chorus one too many times? Do we listen to the Word of God preached with our ears and our hearts, desiring and expecting God's Spirit to speak to us? and transform our lives from inside out through the sermon, or do we let our minds just wander and sit as spectators while contemplating on what we'll be having for lunch after service? Do our external actions and the way we engage in worship demonstrate honor to God, or does it communicate and demonstrate contempt for His name? Now, if you're like me, It's easy to walk away from having heard sermons like this and to think, oh man, I better shape up. I gotta do better. I need to change. I need to do something different. It's natural to think that it all depends on us to make the necessary changes and then we'll be fine. But that could feel quite burdensome to think that it all depends on us to change our own attitudes to be better or perfect before God so that we could worship and honor God properly. The fact of the matter is, being broken, sinful, and forgetful human beings we are, our worship to God will always fall short. No matter how perfect our worship may be, no matter how blameless our attitudes may be, we cannot ever offer to God acceptable worship on our own. We can't. 
But the good news is that through Jesus Christ, we can worship in a way that is acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ only, we can worship God in a way that is acceptable to him. In his book, Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace, a 20th century theologian, James Torrance, writes, Worship is the gift of grace to participate through the Spirit in the incarnate Son's, incarnate Son's communion with the Father. Worship is the gift of grace to participate through the Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father. In his book, he explains that worship is the gift of God, God's gift of God's gracious invitation to us to participate in Jesus' perfect offering to the Father. Jesus alone is the true high priest. Jesus alone is our, is our high priest. Jesus alone is the true sacrifice, the perfect lamb who is without sin that was offered on our behalf to atone for our sin. Therefore, James Torrance explains that all the requirements of worship are perfectly fulfilled through Jesus. And because he has fulfilled it by offering himself as the perfect sacrifice, we can draw near to God in worship. Through Jesus Christ, we can draw near to God in worship. Therefore, when we come to worship God on Sunday, when we gather to worship God on Sunday, we're given by God the gracious gift of invitation. Every Sunday, we're given this invitation to participate in the eternal communion of the Holy Trinity. Worship is the gracious invitation of God the Father to us, and true worship is made possible for us through His Son because of what He has done on the cross and through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and among us when we gather. Therefore, when we worship on Sunday, we're joining in the eternal communion that the Son has with the Father through the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? How exciting is that? To think that we get to join with Jesus in his perfect offering and worship the Father through the Spirit every Sunday, that we get to do that every Sunday is an amazing thing. And this changes everything about how we think about worship on Sundays. It changes how we gather to worship. It changes how we prepare ourselves for worship. It changes how we come to worship to worship. It changes how we come to worship. It changes how we engage in every part of the worship service because it changes the way we think and believe about what is taking place in our worship service each and every Sunday. If we think of worship as an invitation, of God's invitation to enter into his presence, to meet with him, that changes everything about how we gather and how we come to this place to worship God. How would it be possible to get bored on Sunday when we see worship as getting invited in to join Jesus in his fellowship with the Father through, his, through the Holy Spirit? How would it be possible to take communion lightly when we see the Eucharistic meal as being offered to us through the Holy Spirit to enter in to the eternal communion meal that Jesus has with the Father? How awesome, literally be filled with awe and admiration would it be to get to experience this every Sunday? 
not only would, would it change our Sundays, but it would also change how we think about our Mondays to Saturdays. How could it not change the way we live our Mondays to Saturdays in our homes, schools, and workplaces if we were to encounter the living God in such a powerful way every single Sunday? To encounter this living God Sunday after Sunday, how amazing would that be? More, moreover, this would also change the way we anticipate the coming kingdom of God because if we were to get a glimpse of the eternal fellowship of the Trinity every Sunday, will we not get all the more excited and wait joyfully in the hope to enter into that fellowship more fully in its full capacity for eternity? This is worship. This is what takes place in worship. It is God's gracious gift to us to encounter the living presence of God together with God's people. Now, since the pandemic, it's true that many Christians have fallen into spiritual apathy. I believe one of the greatest antidote, antidotes to spiritual apathy is the restoration of our worship. We become apathetic in worship because we do not see worship as gifts. Oftentimes, we do not think of Sunday worship as an invitation by the living God to meet with him. We do not think of it as something to anticipate, something to look forward to, something to get excited about because we don't see it as the gracious opportunity given by God Sunday after Sunday to participate in the heavenly worship that has been ongoing since the beginning of time. At New Life, our mission is to touch lives with the transformative love of Jesus Christ. To touch lives with the transformative love of Jesus Christ. We believe we encounter the transformative love of Christ in worship. This is why we gather to worship every Sunday. To encounter the living God together with all God's people and be transformed from inside out in the love of Christ by the Holy Spirit. So from here on out, as we gather to worship every Sunday, it is my prayer that we turn from our apathetic and careless attitudes in worship. Instead, let us gather with our whole hearts in sincere devotion to God, filled with excitement, joy, and anticipation to encounter the living God. Let's accept God's gracious invitation to join with Jesus in his fellowship with the Father through the Holy Spirit in worship. And may we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to him, for the glory of his name and for his kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for your forgiveness for the ways in which we have shown contempt to your name by being careless in our worship. By having attitudes that dishonor you. Attitudes that is irreverent towards you. We made worship all about ourselves. We ask for your forgiveness. We pray that you would forgive us. And Father, we pray that you would restore our hearts. 
We pray that you would renew our hearts so that every time we gather to worship, that we would be reminded of the reality of your presence in this place. That each time we gather on Sunday, that we're being invited in to participate in the heavenly worship that has been ongoing since the beginning of time. So, Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with excitement and joy and anticipation every time we gather to worship. And when we do gather, we pray that you would fill our hearts and lead us with your Spirit so that we may fully enter in to participate in the communion of the Holy Trinity. We pray that you would transform us by your Son's love. Continue to be glorified in our in our lives, Lord, through our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Won't you stand with us? Thank you, Pastor Sean. It's a powerful call to re-encounter Christ. And uh, to just give him our best, to give him absolutely our best. We're created to worship. It's such a beautiful reminder that that's what we're created to do, and that's what we're inviting you into this morning. There's a beautiful song that was way back. It just simply says, the heart of worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself. not what you require, but you search deeper within. So let's sing that together. Is not what 
there's something powerful about praying and using our own words to, to confess our sins to God for the ways in which we have made worship all about ourselves. Asking him and inviting him to transform us so that we would be transformed from inside out in the way that we think about worship, in the way that we gather on Sunday to worship God. So I invite you
renewing our hearts and our minds to be fully devoted to him as we gather again to worship him in the days ahead. May he restore our worship in this place. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, and through his spirit, who is at work in us. Amen. Go in peace.